0: Hello everybody. Welcome new members. I've had a lot of new surgeons come in this week with open enrollment, which has been awesome. For those who don't know me, I am Kelly Kasperson. I am a urologist practicing in Washington State. Um, I, and I'm like, should I give my origin story? I, I don't think I was burnt out, but I was looking for more. I was looking for more in life. I wanted to find the best of me. I wanted to figure out my habitual behaviors and could they be changed and what was wrong with me, (laughs) all those things. I actually found coaching, welcome new members, I'm telling my origin story. I found coaching because of sex, actually. Um, I kind of dove deep into female sexual health and function after a bladder cancer patient of mine um was crying in my office uh, after saying she didn't have any desire to sleep with her husband and i realized i didn't i didn't know how to help her and so i dove deep into female sexual health because even as a urologist i was told women are complicated viagra doesn't work and the gynecologists are taking care of them basically and um i wanted to figure out if that was true and so i learned a lot about sexual function, female, male, and the brain The brain kept coming back (laughs) into it of like what we think about sex, what we think we deserve, how we think about pleasure, how we think about desire, right? Is desire a thought? Is it a feeling? Because so many people think desire is like a product to purchase. And then you have, look at my desire, here it is. Instead of like, can desire be cultivated in the brain? Is it a thought you think? Is it how you think about your partner? So the brain kept coming back in the sexual education stuff. And I was like, okay, well, these coaches seem to be do amazing things in helping people think, of, think their thoughts and challenge their thoughts, question their thoughts. I wanted to know how to, I didn't want to know just how to like listen to the magic and be affected by it. I wanted to figure out how to do the magic um, of coaching. Like, how do you get somebody to, think about their thoughts and think about what they're creating in their life and help them with awareness. And so that's where the life coaching came from. Um, But surgeons aren't life coaches. I certainly know like mainstream normal surgeons are life coaches. So I actually reached out prior to joining the life coach school. I reached out to Jess McMichael, so orthopedic surgeon, now my business partner here. And I was like, are you normal? I'm a surgeon. Am I going to get kicked out of the surgery world? Like I was very concerned. (laughs) This was very heavy for me. Um, and she's like, yeah, she changed, basically changed my life and blah, blah, blah. And so joined the life coach school in my life coach class, there were two other surgeons in our like intimate, you know, 10 member class. And I think like two other physicians. So like Doctors are jumping into this because they're realizing how powerful it is, not only for their life, but to help patients. Um, And then met with Jess after, and I'm like, you know who I think are the most challenging, would be the most challenging people to coach would be female surgeons, mostly because I think I'm challenging. That's just a thought, I know. But And she's like, yeah, let's coach them. And so long story short, here we are. So I was not born a life coach. I probably would have ran far, far away from life coaches for the majority of my career until I kind—I got to a point of like, what am I doing? What do I want to be doing? How do I want, am I, am I living my life or am I just like running around trying to be busy and do stuff? Right. And like, One of the things going into like this quarter being body, right? For those who just joined us, we've split this year into quarters. The first quarter was the mind and working on just being aware of our thoughts, being aware of when they come up. Do we have to listen to them? Do we have to follow what the thought is or can we just let the thought pass? Can we see what the recurring thoughts in our life are? The dominant ones that are driving our actions. So we did thoughts, this quarter is body. Um, because I think especially as surgeons, we tend to neglect the body. We've been trained to not prioritize our body's needs. I mean, who took a sick day in residency, right? Like you not, your body's not allowed to be sick. Your body doesn't need healthy food. Your body doesn't need sleep. Your body doesn't need movement. Like we really got indoctrinated in how to poorly treat our body. Right, And then we get out of residency or, or maybe some of us are still in it. And we start realizing like, how many patients do you see? Cause I have a window into aging every single day I go to work, right? Like I see the 70 year old who's playing pickleball out with their friends, traveling, looking forward to travel after COVID. And I see the 60 year old who's falling apart. And a lot of that is things we can't control. It's genetics and you know, some of it's bad luck but there's so much into how we care for our body. And I'm like, I want to be the pickleball grandma. Plus I had kids late. And if I want to be an active grandma, I got to take care of this body. Um, but a thought that I had, and this was way before coaching school and all this, is this is probably about three years ago now, I was sitting on the couch and a recurring thought that I had was, I will work out when I retire. I had this vision, I had this vision of like, having nice arms and looking as fit, looking like I have as much energy as I feel that I have. I'm a pretty high, pretty high energy person. I just didn't look at skinny fat is kind of how I was rocking after my babies. And um, the thought kept coming back of like, I'll work out when I retire. I'll work out when I retire. Can't do it now. Too tired. And at one point that I caught the thought, it was that awareness of that thought of like, oh, I'm not going to retire for a while. Am I just going to, am I going to, am I okay with not being in shape and not taking care of my body until then, whatever that might be. And then your brain's trying to figure out like, well, when am I going to retire? Am I going to start working out in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years? And I caught the the thought, the the point of catching that thought and being like, is it, is that true? Is that, is that my only option? Because what we do before we become aware is we take our thoughts as facts. Our brain thought it. So it's probably a fact and what coaching does. And again, what I love about coaching is it, there's so much neuroscience involved um, is no, our brain just makes thoughts. That's its job. We don't even, researchers don't even really know where the thoughts are even coming from or why we have repetitive ones, but we really take them as fact. And that simple awareness of like, is it, is this fact? Is it true? Am I only going to work out when I'm retired? Right. So that was the start of my fitness journey, consistent fitness journey. And then all the mind work that goes along with incorporating fitness into your life. Right. Like another thought I had was I can only get a good workout at the gym. Can't possibly get a good workout in at home. Um, just a thought, challenged it. Is that a fact? Turns out no, it's not. I get it. I'm in the best shape of my life and I work out at home now. And thank God, because I figured that out before COVID, because I then I didn't have like the loss of a gym to stress me out. Um so looking at mind work as a way to increase whatever body, you know, activity you want to do, whether that's running a half marathon or losing weight or prioritizing sleep or your sex life. There's so many pieces of what body can mean to people. And I think it would be way too generic and oversimplified to be like, body means exercising. Um, It doesn't. Body, Body could mean meditation, sitting your ass on a cushion, right? That takes some, that takes some mind work um just just signed up for a half marathon so all the mental mind work that goes into being physically active because even to this day and it's better it's better now I've been doing it for three years my, my brain will be like not today you don't need to work out today you're too tired today just sleep today And it's like no no that's just a thought that my brain's making I'm gonna go work out and choosing to be like, I prioritize movement in my life. I'm gonna go do that. And realizing what your body loves, what makes it feel good, and then giving it that. I've very recently started doing yoga in the evenings. I'll either bring my kids down to where I do yoga and they'll kind of play around when I'm doing it. or I'll wait for them to go to bed. I'll just go do like 20 minutes, either of yoga or foam rolling. Never done this in my life. Like it took me until now to figure this out. Um, But my body feels so freaking good afterwards. And of course, then you forget it feels good, right? And you have to prioritize movement again. But it's like, as far as regulating the nervous system, calming it down for the evening, getting it relaxed so that it can sleep well, and really starting to look at the body as something that we take care of not something we just push and push and push and push and something we can actually learn to listen to. The other thing about the body is where feelings and emotions are felt. And as surgeons, especially, I think as doctors, especially, we aren't trained in feelings. We aren't trained in processing feelings, in feeling feelings. And a lot of that is in the body, right? Like I I worked through shame, I had shame. Um And really like, where do I feel it? I felt it, felt it in my chest, giving it a location. And so the, and again, what the neuroscience is is feelings are are and sensations are processed in the body and being able to experience that. because when we're disconnected from the body, we don't process those things. I'm reading right now, the body keeps the score, which is a big uh, the big like Bible of trauma and the role that the body plays in, hanging on to trauma, in processing trauma, in regulating our nervous system and the role that movement, yoga, exercise, endorphins, weightlifting, all that stuff plays in our brain, right? So it's, we're, we're taught that these two things are so disconnected and where did that come from? It came from nobody understanding the brain and you can't like cut it open and look at it. And so we really separated the body from the brain in Western medicine and I think that leads a lot of physicians to not being involved in their body at all. Um, Jess just texted me. She was gonna join us, but she's got three cases. Thanks, Jess. So that was that's my spiel of my story, the body quarter that we're starting. Um, there is a chat button if you wanna ask questions. Otherwise, I'm gonna do um, a brief kind of just intro for the new people on what the air quotes model is. Um, Yeah, that we use in our life coaching school just to help people understand our language when we coach and talking about circumstances and thoughts and feelings and kind of coaching 101 for a couple of minutes, which is a nice review for people. Um, And then we will take hands up for anybody who wants to be coached today. So the model, which was, this is not patented stuff. This is, coaching is ancient philosophy for anybody who comes in and is like, coaching is this crazy woo woo, non-medical, whatever, whatever people, whatever my beliefs were about coaching. Coaching is just the modern label for like, I think ancient Stoic philosophy, Buddhist philosophy and neuroscience. That to me is what coaching is, which is why I think it's so freaking cool. Because it's not any sort of woo-woo, you have to have a belief in something or anything. It's just like ancient techniques for living your best life combined with neuroscience and how the brain works um, and how understanding our body and our brain affects change in our world uh, so, and, and affects change in us. So that's my view of what life coaching is. So the model, which is the, the school that Jess and I went to, is a way of understanding what's going on in your world. And so CTFAR is what that is. CTFAR. There you go. So C is a circumstance. Maybe I'll keep this up when somebody comes on to coach and we'll, like, I'll, we'll make room and we'll, f- we'll fill in somebody's model if they have what they want to do. So circumstance is anything that's happening in the world that is provable in the court of law is the way to think about it. So you can't put opinions here. You can't put like adjectives, like a judgment on something. He was pissed. Well, your interpretation was he was pissed. Maybe he was emphatic, right? Like, but you can say, he said, you're not going to have an anesthesiology. So the circumstance would be he said words and then the thought so circumstance, anything that can happen in the world but you can't put your own judgments on it you can't put your own lens you can be like my dog ran my dog left the house my dog can't be found right if you say my dog ran away you can be like did he really want to run away was he stolen or whatever did he get hit by a car dog left the house do so you try to keep this as absolutely neutral as possible to take out all of our like judgments and assumptions about it? So we can see it as clearly as we can, because then you can kind of walk around it, right? It gives you more flexibility from being like, is it, is it true, right? So my circumstance would be like, doesn't work out, no working, out. right? My thought about that would be, I'm not gonna, I can't work out till I'm retired. That's my thought about the circumstance of no fitness in my life. Um, So thought, T is thought. For the majority of us in the majority of circumstances, thoughts come first. Thoughts are frontal lobe. Um, So kind of our newer brain, our kind of slower brain is our cognitive thought center. Sometimes feelings are faster. That comes from the deeper brain. Sometimes a feeling is gonna come up. I don't know what I was thinking, I was just scared right that would be a circumstance where it's like fear is going to come first you're not always logically like there's a bear coming I should feel scared now," right so but in the majority of things thoughts are there's a thought underneath it and even when we look at things retrospectively um, I yelled at my nurse I wasn't like I think she's not doing a good job and I'm feeling protective of my patient so I'm going to yell at her Like you don't, it doesn't make sense going forward, but when you look at it going backwards of like, circumstance was patient wasn't roomed on time. Result was I yelled at my nurse. My thought was she's not doing her job. She doesn't care, right? So you can kind of pull those thoughts out when you look at something retrospectively, even if you're not consciously having thoughts in in living your life. And most thoughts that we have, I don't know who researches this stuff, They say most thoughts are subconscious. So we're like, our brain's just doing them all the time. And then every once in a while, we'll get one that pops up into like the, our awareness of that thought happening. So thoughts are a brain activity. Thoughts are normal. Thoughts are not facts. They're not truth. They're just something the brain does by being a brain. Incredibly empowering to know you don't have to listen to your thoughts. Because one thing in coaching, I think a misperception in coaching is people are like, well, I just need to learn how to not think these thoughts. And then I'd like to think these thoughts. Like, that's what I would like you to help me with. I wanna think I'm beautiful. And I wanna just be confident all the time. I wanna think like I deserve all the money, like all these like really feel goody thoughts, right? Instead of the option of like, you see these thoughts that come up, For me, one that I've worked with for a very long time that I've mostly processed now, probably took me two years for people who are like, this doesn't happen fast enough. Um, I'm not a good mother or I'm doing mothering wrong because we're all perfectionists, right? Uh, Instead of like, I need to change that thought, I need to change that thought to like, I'm a fantastic mother might be very, very difficult for people and might not be how your brain works. Instead of like, when that thought of me not being a good mother comes up, do I have to believe it? And be like, oh, there's that thought that's like society gave that to me and my mother-in-law gave that thought to me and I just have that thought now. But now I can kind of laugh at it and be like, but it's not true. Because I have all these other, I have all this other data to say I'm a fantastic woman. Man, every once in a while, especially when I, and then you notice, especially when I'm tired, that thought comes up. Oh, we take a call, a week-long call at a time in my group. Now that I know, I pay a lot more attention to my body and my thoughts. Thursday night, the last night on call, all the thoughts come up. I'm not, I'm not, is this worth it? I'm not with my family enough. I fucking hate the hospital, (laughs) which I think sometimes is a circumstance. Um, but like clockwork, when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, when I've worked too much, when I've compromised my health. You guys, I literally ate a half a pint of Haagen-Dazs mint chip last night for dinner. That was literally my dinner plan, just in case anybody thinks I'm perfect. Um, the point being, we don't have to believe. One tactic is just learning to not believe the thoughts that come up, especially for these thoughts that seem very, very stuck for a lot of people. So that's thoughts. So thoughts in our brain create feelings in our body. You can also, it can also go backwards. You can also say, my feelings, my feelings of tension created the thought that I have to protect myself and lash out, right? The result of lashing it. So it can go both ways, but in the model, it's really a cognitive top down sort of way. So F is feelings. When I started coaching, I was like, I have one feeling, surgeons have one feeling and the feeling is tight, is all we know how to feel. We're just tight all the time. Um, Because I think in med school, surgery residency, Western society in general, feelings are a sign of weakness. Um, Women have too many feelings, right? So we definitely don't wanna, that sounds like a problem. Um, So all of these things about like really not paying attention to feelings. Instead of realizing feelings are a normal body reaction, it's how our body starts generating energy to do something. I'm happy, I'm gonna approach this person. I'm shy, I'm gonna go away from this person. The motivational triad right, of life is seeking pleasure, avoiding pain or conserving energy, that's a triangle. And what feelings do is they help us. We do three things. We're going to avoid pain, we're going to seek pleasure, or we're going to preserve energy. So that's what if we didn't have those feelings in our body, our body wouldn't, you know, go towards something or go away from something or act at all. So that's what the feelings are kind of like the motor to get cognitive forebrain to bodily action is we do things because of our feelings. There is a feel if you Google feelings wheel, there's this like really beautiful looking wheel as big as my head. Um, And it's got like, it'll be like, it'll break it down. Like happy could actually be these like nine feelings. Sad could actually be these nine So people like, I literally, when I started in the the coaching school, they gave us like a three page thing. Like here are three pages of feelings, like words to describe feelings. Right. And I was like, oh, I just thought we were tight, (laughs) tight and happy sometimes. Um, So there's a lot of, nuance to like are you really feeling scared or is it more insecure right and like really kind of you can get very specific in just part of how we're listening to our body and like what really is going on so circumstances are neutral they generate thoughts our thoughts create our feelings our feelings drive our actions in the world i i don't get my charts done on time. I was short with the nurse in the ER when they consulted me. I ate a pint of mint chip hagen ice cream for dinner last night. <laughs> These are all things we do, right? So the other thing that can go in the action line is things we do and then things we don't do, right? Because going back to the motivational triad is we avoid pain or avoid confrontation. So When I'm feeling insecure, I don't start writing a new paper that I want to get published on, blah, 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 right? When I'm feeling overwhelmed, I don't work at being a compassionate listener to people in my life, right? So actions can be things you do and things you don't do. Actions, what you do or don't do in your life, drive the results in your life. Right, so the R is results. Um, results are, I run a half marathon. I got promoted to assistant professor. I love my family, whatever your results might be. I didn't turn, turn my assignment in on time. I eat healthy food, whatever this might be, the results. I am, I am now physically fit, right? Um, and so if you look at, again, going to fitness in the body and just my own personal journey, circumstance is busy surgeon, mom who doesn't work out. That's not gonna drive the result of being fit unless I really work on my thoughts, my feelings and my actions right? Sitting around on the couch for me, wishing, wishing I had the result of nice biceps, what is not working? And so it's like, what, what thoughts did I need to change? Well, my big thought was I'll work out when I retire. That thought doesn't drive the result of nice biceps to oversimplify. So that is the model. There are some other coachy words that we use we talk a lot about boundaries we talk a lot about manuals our rules right we all have rules for our friends our patients our spouses our kids those we call those manuals in the coaching world um so there's a couple of you know just other things that we re- recurring ideas that we come back to that can be very useful in the world um so welcome to all new members what we do after we do these live uh, video Zoom chats is the video is saved up onto the Kajabi website and the audio is pulled and translated into a podcast. Um, the, so a lot of people will just listen to the podcast, especially at 1.5 speed. You can listen to lots of podcasts on your commute or whatever works. So I know a lot of people will re listen to these using the podcast form. So if you haven't figured that out yet or you need help, Sharon is our um, assistant who can help you out with all those technical details. All right, so if somebody wants to come on for coaching, I'm gonna keep this up because we can figure out where all the things go if somebody wants to bring on something. For all the new people, what we do for coaching is if you haven't already changed your name when you log into Zoom, I'll change it. Um, And then we usually just keep your video off I've been doing it just where I allow you to talk instead of even having video. So we try to keep this as anonymous. You can never say if something's completely anonymous. Um, I think it's hard, but as anonymous as possible, knowing that I think, especially if you're involved in any surgeon Facebook groups, um, some people use things against us sometimes and it really erodes our trust. I think that's the other strength in doing a coaching pro- program that isn't in your institution. I, I see that a lot of like my institutions having, which is great. I love that they're caring for physicians, but I worry like that any anything could actually be used, heaven forbid, be used uh, against you or to hurt you or to, to prevent promotion or something like that in an institution. So the fact that we're all living similar lived experiences all around the world um, gives, I think gives a lot of uh, community here, but, we also want to preserve um, identity as much as possible, knowing it's not always possible. But that's why I don't have, I was just, I just did a coaching group for another doctor um, the hour before this. And they all came on and they all show their video and they're all interactive and like, and there's absolutely something to that too. But how we tend to do it here is to keep it as anonymous as possible. So people can really say what they want to say without their face and their name involved. So just in case you guys didn't know how how we try to do that here. All right, so what you do is you go down to the raise hand thing on the Zoom panel below. If you raise your hand and want to come on for coaching, or if you just have questions about coaching or the model or thoughts, feel free to ask. While I'm waiting for the first brave soul.
1: Uh, I think
0: we can talk about manuals because I think manuals are very useful. Raise your hand and I'll pull you on, but I'm just going to keep chatting otherwise. So manuals are, if you think about like a manual, right? It's your book of how the world works and not only how the world works, but how your people in your world work, right? My husband should X, Y, and Z. Um, The hospital should X, Y, and Z. My partner should, my patients should, um, all all the shoulding things. And the thing about manuals is everybody in your life has a manual about you that you don't know. They didn't give it to you to read and it might not be accurate either. Right. My patients have a manual about how much time I should spend with them and how nice I should be and how much surgery should hurt, how much surgery should cost. Um, So they all have manuals about us that influence how they interact with us. Once we start seeing other people's behaviors and assumptions as their manuals, We don't have to as much try to go control and make sure everybody else is okay because they're just living their manual. They maybe didn't even share their manual. We don't know to share our manuals, right? We're like, hey, six-year-old kid, daughter of mine, don't you know you're not supposed to need me when it's three in the morning and you've come into my bed for the last seven days so we are all sleeping like crap? Whatever. Six-year-olds shouldn't do that by now. That's my manual for my kiddo. She doesn't know that, right? So understanding, and a nice practice for to do this is to actually like write down what your rules are, right? Like, cause we, we don't actually write down what our rules are. Like patients should be, write down your rules of what patients should be. Just, just see what, you, what your assumptions are as well. They should be on time. They shouldn't complain about the price. They should follow all my post-op instructions. They should be grateful um that's our manual and a lot of our suffering comes from failure of people to live up to the manual we have for them even though I don't tell patients like these are the five things that like if you want this to go well thank you um same with spouses same with kids same with moms same with mother-in-laws and they all have manuals for you right you should be nice and still make dinner and all the things, be grateful, and all the things. So a nice practice of like, why, why is, why is this nurse just rubbing me the wrong way so much? What is it about? We write down my manual about how I think she should be, and then how she actually is, and that mismatch is where all the suffering is. Again, going back to ancient philosophy and Buddhist philosophy and Stoic philosophy and all this stuff. Like a lot of this stuff is not new, but realizing. Our suffering comes from our reality expectation mismatch. Which is so important to know because we give our power away every time we say, I'm mad because of them. I'm sad because of her. I'm grumpy because of the traffic. No, you're grumpy because your expectation was the traffic wasn't going to make you late, but it did, right? So you made yourself unhappy because you didn't have an expectation You had an expectation, desire, mismatch, which puts you in total control because now I can see that. And I can be like, I can see why I'm angry because it didn't go as I expected. I'm going to choose to not be angry about that now. Instead of giving all your power away to the traffic, the traffic may be angry. The traffic traffic probably did make you late, but the distress is because you were trying to not be late. Right? Takes all of your power back. And that's what's so amazing about coaching is really empowering us to be like, we have agency, we have power, we have choices in a lot of what we choose to do. Yesterday, I did eight cases. You guys might've seen my post. I did eight cases and in our surgery center, the surgeon always stays there. The anesthesiologist goes home and the surgeon stays there until the patient leaves, which was fine because this was a terp and he was bleeding and the anesthesiologist would have been worthless anyways but the nurse had to irrigate out the catheter several times. And like, I ended up leaving at like 7.30. And like, I can see, like, I'm get, I'd am i like to go home. I still have to do a target run. I have not seen my four-year-old, right? And I can see me being pissed, right? I tend towards, if anybody knows Enneagrams, I tend towards Enneagram eight, meaning I'm an Enneagram eight. Anger's kind of easy for me. Um, and, but yesterday I was able to self-coach myself and be like, oh, I'm pissed right now because my expectation is this shouldn't be taking so long. The nurse should have figured out the catheter by now. The prostate should have stopped bleeding by now. And I was reacting to my desire, my expectation and reality mismatch. It's not the patient's fault. It's not the nurse's fault. It's not anybody's fault. So that allows me to not show my anger or upset at any of them. You're like, I am upset because it's not going according to my plan. It's not going according to my manual. My manual is eight perfect cases. Everybody's home by five. (laughs) And like, that's not how it works sometimes in this job of surgery. So I was able to be like, okay, I see where my circumstance was, patients still in the PACU at 7.30. My thought was this shouldn't be happening. My feeling was tightness, (laughs) resistance, uh, anger. My actions would have been being short with the nurse, basically being short with the nurse. I I wouldn't have taken it out on the patient. But I was able to hijack this model and be like, ah, what I'm feeling is this. Because my circumstance isn't what I want it to be clean it off, be like, this is exactly how it's supposed to be because this is exactly what's happening right now. This is the reality. How do I want to best show up in this? Then you change, change your model. Circumstance is patient still in the PACU at seven thirty. Thought is this isn't going how I wanted it to be, but I want to be my best self in front of these people. Feeling of acceptance. Did I have a feeling of love? probably not mostly just acceptance actions do what it, my job is to get things taken care of so he can leave safely result preserve my relationship with everybody because I didn't react to my frustration patient left the PACU I went home I ate mint Haagen-Dazs ice cream which is another model um so that's like a, a just an example of Once you get better at this and there's no like, there's no perfect, you guys, there's no perfect. There's no like guru on the mountaintop who is also a surgeon, like our job, the difficulty of our job, the difficulty of the people we interact with, the challenging sadness, the trauma that we've all been through in training, that is all practice for seeing ourselves, for understanding ourselves, for being the best selves that we can be. For the longest time, I'm like, if I could just quit my job and like meditate, then I would like feel better and totally be at peace and love the world. And the more you realize how mindfulness and being present and being aware works, you realize that the job and the challenging people are the project. That is what makes us stronger. That is the work. And that, you know, like the the Buddhist, the monks will be like washing the dishes is the point the point is to wash the dishes because you're washing the dishes right now and that's your practice what does the water feel like it is not that we all want to go wash dishes as, as a project but like to be present in it like washing the dishes is what's happening right now how can I best enjoy this experience or at least be present in this experience the water is this the soap feels this my hands feel this this job is done right? Like instead of resisting, like, why do I have to have another difficult patient? why do I have to have another nurse who was a jerk? Why'd I have to have another complication of like, that is our practice in the world for learning about ourselves, for developing ourselves, for being the best self that we can be. Because otherwise we're just resisting them all the time. And for me to get to a place where I'm like, clinic for me is practice. Practice listening to people, practice seeing my responses practice in a different way of talking to people see what happens when i talk this way because now it's like i can see it and it's it's like the matrix right where it's like you can kind of move within it instead of like me being a pawn in just having to slog through clinic again just having it always has to go this way like maybe it doesn't what happens if i I have a feeling, what if I start my day with a feeling of love? How's that day going to go? What if I start my day with a feeling of pissed and rushed and behind? How's that day going to go? And being able to actually like higher level this stuff. But for the majority, I think for a lot, I think of coaching in the beginning, it's just awareness of the thoughts, awareness of your actions, awareness of what circumstances are happening in your life and the results that you're creating because of it. But there's no perfect, we're not perfect, we are human. Humans make mistakes, humans react subconsciously. Humans can't always pick our feelings. Humans can't always pick what happens to us. Um, And I think a lot of people in the beginning of their coaching journey, they're like, just tell me the right thoughts to think, to always be happy. And I think that's another important concept in talking about like coaching concepts is the concept of life is 50-50. Put that down there. Um, the concept of life is 50-50 is, it's not always good. It's not always happy. There is sad, there is anger, there is frustration. And us resisting that, us saying, we should never feel that it's bad to feel that it's bad to feel those feelings. That's where the pain comes in. Cause we're resisting what is when the world has anger and war, it has all of this. We can be idealized and say, I really, really want a world with no war. I really, really do. But your pain says, I'm not going to be happy until there's a world with no war because the world has war. And it is, it doesn't mean we can't work on ourselves and work on peace around us and promote peace and promote community, do everything you can, but to say, I'm not going to be happy until X, Y, and Z, which is an external circumstance, you're taking away all of your power. So the Life is 50-50 is our society, especially in a consumer driven, I need to tell you that you should always be happy and pretty and smart and buy this product to help you get there. Right? Being sad is bad. Being angry is bad. All these feelings are bad and you should just never have them. puts us sets us up for a lot of pain. And that's where the life is there's if there wasn't sadness, we wouldn't know what happy felt like. If there wasn't anger, we wouldn't know what joy or love felt like. Right? So the contrast has to happen otherwise we would have no concept of this other part that we really like. But what our society has done is said, you should only have the good. But our lived experience tells us that's that's not how it works. Bad things happen. People get hurt, people die, people have accidents. Our brains have sadness. We're designed to have those things. Negativity bias, by the way, going back to like evolutionary neuroscience, negativity bias, the theory is kept us alive. Because we need to remember where the lion is and the poisonous berries are, all the things. We need to remember that way more than like that day at the lake. That was super fun. Right. So the negativity bias is actually built into our brain. The common thing for surgeons with this is Google reviews or an unhappy patient, right? Like we have we get one of those and we are absolutely floored. Like I literally just think about quitting when somebody's like vocal about. I didn't live up to whatever expectation they had of me. I have people, I have like, how many positive reviews and thank yous and cards and gifts and love do you get all the time? And we just blow it off. We're just like, yeah, it's like air or whatever. It's the negativity bias in our brain, focusing on the one bad thing. I got like a one-star Google review because I didn't spend enough time with a patient. Literally on the same day, a patient brought in like cashmere, they're like fingerless gloves, cashmere fingerless fingerless gloves that she had hand knitted for me on the same day. It's like physicians in striving to always be perfect, to only get good reviews, create so much suffering for not accepting that these other things do happen. We can't make them not happen. They do happen. Um, so the life is 50-50, I think is, we struggle with it because we weren't raised, right? Like how many people say, I just want my kids to be happy. What we're doing is we're telling kids that it's not okay to not be happy. The only goal is happiness. And if the only goal is happiness, we lose the acceptance of other parts of our lives, that it's okay to not be happy sometimes. So we're really told, that it should all be butterflies and rainbows all the time. And then we wonder why we're so destroyed when it's not. right. So the the coaching concept of there's good and bad. Uh, you know, I was, I was coaching somebody a while ago on a, a poor patient outcome. Nothing that she had, she didn't cause it. It just, it just happened. And she was trying to not feel sad about it. I was like, this seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to be sad about. Like the permission to give ourselves the ability to process and to feel those feelings helps us process them and move on from them versus like resisting sadness. I'm resisting sadness. I need this to be okay. Like, this is sad. Maybe we should just be sad for realizing that's okay. It's okay to have these feelings. So I think an early, like an, uh, you know, coaching misperception is, is again, like I just want to feel the happy feelings and think the, think the good thoughts that'll get me places. Like it's okay that you think you're not a, a worthy enough mother. By the way, only good mothers worry that they're not good mothers. Because <laughs> your brain checking in, like my kid's safe, are we good? It's the world good. It's okay. It's all right. But we can do things to diminish the strength of that thought, to be able to, again, walk around that thought, right? Another, um, another thought I had a lot of, which I don't have much anymore, I had a lot more of it two years ago, is the time scarcity thought. There's not enough time. There's not enough time. Where's the time? and my big aha in, again i didn't see that as a thought that was a fact right i was actually talking to an anesthesiologist about it i'm like you realize time scarcity is just a thought that you made up in your mind and it stresses you out and he's like no it's real i'm like it's not real we all have the same amount of things in our day and to think we don't have enough time is the optional part of it you might have a very full day but to think you don't have enough time is an optional thought." um so to be able for me to see it as a thought came during COVID so the very beginning of COVID surgery centers shut down there was no surgery happening I was working two days a week just to try to keep people out of the ER right so like emergency sort of emergent stuff so I landscaped my front lawn after living here for like five years and all this time right like all like forced I couldn't work And I remember I was going into a five day weekend. It was like Friday, Monday, Friday weekend, Monday, Tuesday or something where I wasn't gonna be at work. And I remember going into my daughter's room and I put my hand on the handle to to open a room. And I saw myself having the thought, I don't have enough time to, I don't remember X, Y, or Z. And I was like, I'm going into five days with literally nothing. Like you couldn't even go anywhere because the country was shut down, right? And it was enough contrast for me to be like, I'm having this thought, even though all of these things, like I literally have nothing to do. I literally just get to stay at my house with my kids. And I still thought I don't have enough time. And it was enough of a contrast for me to be like, oh, that's a thought. And to be able to work with that. Uh, So circumstance might be busy surgeon, two kids, full-time job exercises, whatever, whatever the circumstances. My thought is I don't have enough time. And what are the results that come from thinking I don't have enough time? What I've started doing when I had that is just taking a breath, realizing it's a thought and sometimes using the thought I do have enough time or there's always going to be enough time. Turns out there usually is because then your brain, what the brain does, and this is fascinating, I was um, reading the book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, 2006, Michael Pollan, an excellent book about the industrialization of our food system. I remember uh, attending reading it when it came out when I was in residency and he was talking about it. And I just remember being like, first of all, I didn't have enough time <laughs> to read for pleasure, but like how nice it must be to read for pleasure when you're in attending because I was a resident. This not enough time thing runs strong. But anyways, in this book, he's talking about finding mushrooms and mushroom foraging, as foraging as food. And he said, if the mushrooms are there, because they have to be there, you actually train your brain to start paying attention to them and finding them. Now they have to be there in the first place in order to be found. But he actually brought in the neuroscience of it and it's called something where we, we, the we, tell our brain what's important we tell our brain what we want to find in that case it's like small brown mushrooms that tend to be under logs and covered by leaves in this forest right they're this tall they they are in this many groups you're telling your brain what to focus on and then your brain finds more mushrooms and I was like this is the first time I've seen the neuroscience explained. when people like the woo woo of people they're like what you want to find in life, you'll find. If you want to find joy, you'll find joy. And people are like, that's some bullshit. That is some woo. That is not true. And I'm like, the joy, the mushrooms have to be there. But like, when I start saying there's going to be enough time, when I start saying, I'll f- I'm going to find the time if this is important to me. When I start saying there's going to be enough time, there is enough time. It's like it trains your brain. So the, what we think what we hang onto is incredibly powerful in finding the mushrooms that are our world, because that's, we can literally, the brain will like put on its filters to start confirming that that is true. That is what is important in life. If you start saying every single person's an asshole, your brain will look for evidence to prove to you that every single person's an asshole. It's, it's, it's how the brain works. It's, it's incredible. So starting to, again, awareness, awareness, awareness of the thoughts and how they're influencing you. Um, One of the things that coaching people bring up a lot is just journaling, writing things down, which again, my resistance is I don't have enough time to do that, but just to clean out the brain of like, what are you thinking right now? What's coming up? What's under there? And there's something about writing it down because you can't like think your thoughts out of you as well as you can write your thoughts out of you. So really being like, what am I thinking right now? What am I doing right now? And even what I did yesterday with the PACU being, the guy being in the packy for so long is like, was that mental, like, what's in my brain? Why am I feeling this? What's actually going on? Instead of just responding to what the world was giving me. Like, oh, of course you're a little pissy right now because you wish you weren't here. But that doesn't mean I have to be pissy to the nurse or pissy to the catheter or pissy to the patient's wife or pissy to myself, whatever it might be. So any thoughts, anybody want seven minutes of coaching? This was a very nice intro to coaching, to thoughts, to the body. I think one of the things that Jess is bringing a lot of, is the piece about trauma. Um, And the more I'm reading, getting into it too, of like the incredible trauma that med students and and residents go through in becoming doctors, in seeing really tough things and hearing really tough things and being trained in really tough, abusive ways. And the role that that trauma plays in our life, even in years after those experiences. Also the role of our early childhood trauma in ourselves. I now believe it's true that what I experienced as a young child groomed me or prepared me for being a surgeon. Um, I didn't have that insight for a long time but what we experience consciously or subconsciously and how we carry that and how we see the world because of trauma that we experienced in residency or in before residency and how that affects how we think now, how we feel now, how we act now. There's a lot to that. And I think Jess is so beautiful as a coach for bringing in the trauma And if we're in this survival, 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 neuroscience state all the time, it's actually quite challenging to grow or do more things until we actually process that. Like, I always feel tight. I always feel like I'm not enough. I always like digging up, like that came from being a resident and not thinking that women belonged and being told that women didn't belong. I, I'm making things up right now. But like the trauma that we all experienced in seeing people suffer and not not processing it. For humans to see a human suffer and not talk about it and just pick up, get back to work. That was yesterday and not processing that, not being allowed to feel feelings. Um, I'd say that's one of the downfalls of how we train doctors in this world. And so, you know, somebody had posted like, I think on the common thread group, being part of the revolution. And I'm like, I feel like coaching is part of the revolution. Like, I feel like telling people they're enough and they're worthy and what they're feeling is legitimate and real and hearing their stories that's part of the revolution because that hasn't been what we've had in healthcare and in training. Um, And for us to be like, we're going to work on self-improvement for you. And that trickles down to your kids and your relationships and your families and your patients and all that stuff. But ultimately this is about you and it's okay to work on you for the sake of working on you, not so that you become a system professor, not so that you get lean and fit, not so that there's no end result. There are, those are all wonderful things that come with working on yourself, but just the gift of figuring out how your brain works, figuring out what, what, what your body needs, figuring out what you're feeling, understanding all of that, your trickle down results can be this external, like, isn't this great? I worked on myself and then I published a book and got a system professor and got a raise and blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's the external benefit of a lot of this. And, and now I have great biceps, but I have a great biceps because I changed, I worked on my mind. That's, But you can't see that part. No, but nobody can see that part. But for me, probably about a year ago now, Like my employees that have worked with me for years, they're like, you're different. You've changed. You've done a lot of work. you're like, for a while, you're like, does anybody notice? Anybody care? You're like, they notice. They notice. Might take a long time. (laughs) But when your default ways of reacting change, your default ways of reacting, people are feeling different things around you now. They'll notice. And it's incredibly powerful when that happens. Um, Even if they might never, like, your kids are never going to be like, mom, you're so much more present now when you hang out with us. Is it because you worked on your time scarcity and your your validity as being a mom? Like (laughs) your kids aren't going to say that part. But like, they'll notice. It's totally worth it. So that was me talking for an hour. Next time we're going to do some coaching. So thank you for all the new Room 1 members. We are so happy you're here. Um, you can listen to this again on podcast. See what comes up. See what you're resistant to. Are, we, are you resistant to Life City 50? Are you resistant to the fact you have power? What we're resistant to is, is great, great uh, practice for like, is this, is this good? Is this legit? This comes from stuff much smarter than me, ancient philosophy, ancient Buddhism, stoic philosophy, mindfulness. I didn't make any of that up. (laughs) I just thought there's got to be a way for me to live my best life and then to teach it to other people. And this is is what they've come up with. So I love you guys so much. Thank you for spending an hour with me. Have a wonderful weekend. I uh, will talk to you soon.